Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. What on earth is going on in Alberta politics? And I mean it. I'll confess that as someone Toronto-based, I'm, I'm just trying to figure this all out. Is Jason Kenney about to be booted out as the sitting premier of Alberta? Kenney is facing dissent within his own party, the United Conservative Party, and ballots are being mailed out to almost 60,000 party members to ask them whether or not they want to see a leadership election. Kenney has said that if the majority response is yes, he is stepping down. Wow, that's wild. But I gotta say, I, I kind of like it if only because it seems like democracy in action and we could do with a whole lot more of that stuff in Canada all across the spectrum. So how did this come about and where is it headed? Let's break it all down with this episode's guest, Evan Menzies. He's worked with the Wild Rose Party in Alberta. He was director of communications for Alberta's United Conservative Party. And now he's over at Crestview Strategies where he is a senior campaign strategist in their Calgary office. Hey Evan, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. This is interesting times in Alberta politics, I must say. Yeah, it's. Uh, I joined Wild Rose in 2011, and at the time, it seemed uh, like Alberta was paving the way for uh, unorthodox uh, political movements. But uh, yeah, here we are again, uh, definitely carving out uh, new pathways here. Yeah, continuing with the unorthodox moves. So, first of all, Jason Kenney, could he lose this vote? Is it is it in the realm of possibility that he will not be premier a month from now? Uh, it's definitely within the realm of possibility, but uh, my my instincts, uh, just observing this, is that uh, I think uh, there there are very loud um, uh, sections of the party who are obviously uh, unsatisfied with with Premier Jason Kenney's leadership. But my general sense is that a, a growing segment uh, I don't know if it's fair to call them a silent majority, but folks who maybe not uh, aren't actively in the media cycle every day. Um, will be will will be backing Jason Kenney in this vote. Uh, the fact that it's a, a universal vote among membership is, again, unprecedented for a leadership review cycle. But I, I think will um, certainly help Premier Jason Kenney uh, in his bid to get the party's support. All right. Well, let's break down all of that stuff more in depth in a couple minutes. The nuts and bolts, though, of what's going on. Uh, we understand we've got uh, we've got ballots being mailed out to. Like I said, almost 60,000 party members, they must be returned by May 11th. The results are going to be announced on May 18th. So this is like a straight up yes or no question. Uh, should there be a leadership review? Yeah. And uh, yeah, folks mark their ballot. Yes. To show support for Jason Kenney. No is uh, obviously they're they're looking for a leadership review. And uh, the premier has previously indicated uh, that he's, he's staying on with 50% plus one and uh, is expecting uh, folks in the party to uh, to essentially get get behind them after the leadership uh, vote to maintain unity. Um, so that's you know that, that that's step one here with the leadership review. Uh, we'll see what that number is. Uh, folks who have been against the premier are calling for numbers in the high 70s, early 80s, uh, for him to uh, be able to stay on. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. So there's there's first step one is the leadership review. Step two is uh, the aftermath. Yeah, and what's interesting about that point that it should be a higher threshold is there are individuals out there who've been leaders of different parties before, whether it's, you know, in Alberta, federal, what have you, NDP, who have said, I need to get two thirds or, or, or this amount. That's what they'll consider uh, an acceptable uh, leadership review number for them to stick around. Do you have any sense of why Jason Kenney chose 50% plus one? Because, of course, if he only gets just 51%, I mean, that's that's a pretty divided party there. 
Yeah, it's um, my general sense is, is that uh, the uh, Alberta, I mean, just like every other jurisdiction, um, faced some pretty contentious debates over COVID. And uh, I mean, we're still coming out of that period. And uh, my, my guess is the thinking from the premier is that um, uh, the party going into a leadership race right now uh, could be even more divisive um, than, say, a, a 55 percent, 60 percent leadership review ballot. And that 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 risk of divisiveness in the party uh, uh, having to debate over uh, past COVID actions uh, could cause further splits. I mean, the, the reality is, is that the United Conservative Party um, has that united part in front of the name, but it's only five years old, has only mm. gone through one election cycle. So and obviously the premier um, was front and center in that debate, uh, trying to unite the two movements. So I think for him, he obviously he I, I think he's sensitive to the fact that um, he wants to keep the party is united and uh you know if i ultimately if he feels like um a leadership race will need to be called i think he'll take that quite seriously um but i i think he's he's quite anxious and he said so as such in, in his public comments and his recent speech uh, on april 9th uh, addressed to party members that um the risk of a leadership review uh, could cause uh, quite a bit of splintering in the, in the conservative movement in alberta to what degree is the Alberta movement already splintered and it's just being sort of MacGyvered together to, to stay in place by whatever it is, people obliging to be in this party together or Jason Kenney through sheer force of, or, of will, as you pointed out, uh, being the guy to really unite the party that he's just the one keeping it together. I mean, to what degree would you say the party is a naturally united party right now? And to what degree is it a, a Band-Aid amalgam of other groups? Yeah, that's a really interesting, uh, interesting and complex question. Um, again, we, we have to tie this all back into COVID, but I mean, the, the sort of um, uh, different uh, parts of the tent here are pretty complex. There's obviously a, a pretty strong rural and urban divide uh, um, uh, within the party. Um, again, that's not unusual in, in any conservative party. Right. Uh, you'll, you'll find a pretty strong libertarian bent out here in Alberta. Obviously, uh, you know, the brand of Alberta conservatism is pretty uh, synonymous with, with folks who are, are passionate and loving of freedom and, uh, and very anti-Ottawa. And so there's that sort of section of the party that uh, it's been a tough couple of years. Uh, we've seen uh, Trudeau elected not once but twice and pretty uh, uh, on, on campaigns that were, I think, at, uh, at best, pretty negative against Alberta. Uh, then we had COVID, which brought in restrictions. And I'll, I'll, in defense of the premier, he was always the last to bring them in and the first to uh, uh, to repeal them. Right. But that, uh, that's that been pretty contentious. And of course, we, we had the, the Freedom Convoy movement in January that I think was kind of an explosion of a lot of uh, pent up anger and frustration over the past couple of years. So there's, um, but, you know, and then there's other folks in the party who who wanted a more moderate approach on, on COVID policy than what even Premier Jason Kenney was, was presenting. They would have preferred action earlier. Uh, Perhaps they would have preferred uh, the way Ontario went, which, uh, in my view, was certainly a little bit more aggressive on the COVID file than we were out here. Oh, absolutely. And so, that, yeah, so all those all those different factors and emotions are, are kind of what's pulling everyone in different directions. And because of the intensity of the moment, uh, the intensity of the, the fight for freedom, I mean, we can see that in the federal campaign right now with, with folks lining behind Pierre's uh, Polyev's message, message on freedom. Um, I, I think there's just a lot of, I, I, yeah, I, I use that word intensity again to describe these, these different camps. Um, I think the premier is hoping that as as with Omicron and COVID begins to fade in the background, that 
that the party members can sort of get back to first principles, talking about freedom, talking about balanced budgets, talking about choice in education, fixes to the healthcare system. Now, one of the things that a lot of people feel is that they don't want to so much put this in the rearview mirror until they have had a, a public inquiry, a commission, a, a full airing out of what went on, because I know hearing from at least a lot of people in Ontario who were philosophical conservatives who were very unhappy with what D Doug Ford did, they say, I didn't join a conservative party so I could micromanage people's lives. I take COVID seriously, want to protect the high risk people. But the idea that I didn't, I didn't sign up for this party so I could tell people, this is how far apart you must stand from people. Uh, you must wear this mask or else we're going to call the cops on you. This is just not what we do as conservatives. And, and I do feel like there's been or there should have been a major debate among conservatives about what direction they want to head and that they never had. And, and I know that. Oh, Jason Kenny saying, I'd like to put some of this behind me. And Doug Ford would like to totally uh, make people forget about all the things that he brought in the past couple of years. But a lot of people say they can't move forward until they've had that airing of grievances. Is that going on in Alberta? Because I hear it here in Ontario. Yeah, uh, I certainly think that's the case. Um, I, you know, Danielle Smith, who, uh, you know, for folks who may not remember, was uh, leader of the Wild Rose Party and eventually crossed over to the PC Party in, uh, in 2015 or 2014. Uh, she's sort of stated that she's open or hoping to run for leader if uh, the leadership review goes against Jason Kenney. I think she's definitely representing that sort of voice of frustration uh, among people who are frustrated with COVID, although I, I certainly don't think she's the face for it. But yeah, I, you know, the, the Premier himself has talked about a, a need to uh, to review what happened during COVID. Um, and I, I don't think that would be a bad political or tactical move for, uh, well, for not just conservative governments, but governments of all stripes to uh, have, you know, whether it's some sort of public review or, or inquiry to, to understand how decisions were made, to understand, you know, uh, were we ready for this pandemic? What are we going to do to be ready for the next one so we don't have to go through this again? I mean, the, 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 well, you'd certainly be familiar with it, but the fact that we spent half a trillion dollars uh, and went through two years of it, like sometimes um, nonsensical COVID policies that created uh, huge societal divisions. Uh, we don't need to go through that again. So yeah, there's definitely lots of folks out here who would, who would like to have their say and, and uh, you know, inform government policy to make sure things like that don't happen again. Uh, the big focus, of course, as well is what are we going to do about our healthcare system? The fact that we have healthcare systems across the, the country that that are at the threat of uh, total collapse uh, because of a few hundred ICU patients uh, is something that um, seriously needs to be addressed. And it's um, shameful. It's embarrassing. It's scandalous that they can say you got to shut down the kids' schools uh, in case there are 200 persons who need an ICU bed. 300. That was the number they used here in Ontario. I don't know about the Alberta number. I mean, it, it's it's maddening. Yeah, and in, in, yeah, at the peak of the Delta wave out here, I think we had about 250, and that that was um, and anything higher was essentially. Uh, total cancellation of surgeries and triage. I mean, in defense of the premier, um, he didn't close schools down again. And uh, while right. there was a COVID passport pass, um, which was certainly contentious, um, nothing really closed down after um, May 2021. 20, uh, um, unless, of course, uh, when you get into the vaccine passport. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's outrageous. And obviously, um, on public policy front, um, all leaders, uh, including here in Alberta, need to show um, not just their supporters, their base, but um, all voters that they're going to do something about it. Yeah, we had a full lockdown here in Ontario in January of not 2021, 2022. So ours was more extreme, more severe. Evan, to still pick up on the mechanics of the vote, 
I understand there was going to be an in-person vote in Red Deer initially, but then that changed. What were the original plans and why did they change? Yeah, so they, uh, the, they, the party set up a, a special general meeting set up for leadership review. Uh, the party's bylaws uh, that were passed at uh, uh, an AGM in 2020 required a leadership review to either be held uh, this year or the year prior. Uh, the party board selected this year for leadership review. And then there were some constituency associations who were demanding that it be held earlier. Some wanted it later in the year. Uh, they selected um, a period that was earlier, but because um, April was so close to the party's last AGM in November, the party chose to create a special general meeting uh, mm. designed specifically for the leadership review vote. Um, as a result, um, there, I, I think there was a, certainly, it allowed people to activate and mobilize around the single event uh, on the leadership review process. And there was incredible engagement, unlike anything we've seen before here in Alberta. Um, for context, uh, most AGMs in Alberta or, or leadership review processes, uh, whether it was with the PC party or the Wild Rose party, I don't think we had ever seen anything higher than 2,500 people attend. Uh, this one in Red Deer had more than 15,000 registrants and the party was estimating more than 20,000 people to show up at uh, a single hotel for one day of voting in Red Deer. So uh, as a result, the party was faced with a tough question. Logistically, to hold a vote uh, with 20,000 folks at a, a hotel in Red Deer, um, quite frankly, I don't think it's just my opinion, but um, just the cold hard facts would have been impossible. Uh, there were worries about parking, people's ability to vote. The fact is, even if you had 12, 14 hours of voting, um, that would have meant you had to process something like uh, one vote every two seconds. So the party had to make a decision about how, how to uh, create an alternative for voting. Now, I know there has been some accusations that Jason Kenney wanted to move to a system that is more favorable to him getting votes uh, that support his leadership and him sticking around. Do you see any validity to those points? Uh, you know, I, 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 I've been watching um, Alberta internal conservative party politics for a while. Um, I think folks would have been complained about the process. In fact, they were complaining about the process that there wasn't a mail-in ballot at first. And then when it switched to a mail-in ballot, uh, they were upset about that being tinkered towards Jason Kenney's favor. Um, ultimately, these decisions are made by uh, a party board of volunteers. They, of course, um, listen to the leader's opinions. But um, it, it, my view was that uh, the party board had a, a, a tough choice to make um, about how to actually process the vote. Um, I, like, alternatively, if they maintained uh, uh, in-person voting at a single location in Red Deer, um, uh, the voting day would have been scandalous in itself. People wouldn't have been able to vote, find parking. There would have been hour-long lineups. So the party needed to figure out a, 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 a solution. Uh, one of the solutions that, that could have happened was in-person uh, voting across all 87 ridings. Uh, but to organize that in a period of a few weeks would have been a, a huge task uh, to make sure that that was held with integrity as well. So I think the party made the best decision they could in the situation that they were in. Uh, perhaps they could have... Um, been uh, made that decision earlier uh, probably would have uh, you know insulated them from some of the criticism but um, at the end of the day I think they they were uh, the, the party who's obviously in charge of executing this vote um, did the best that they could we'll be back with more full comment in just a moment Evan one thing I find very fascinating about this whole story is the level of debate 
that Jason Kenney has allowed within his own party, within his own caucus, because there are other examples of similar schisms happening in Canadian politics and the leader moves swiftly to shut it all down. Jason Kenney seems very welcoming of all of this. Is this because he has to, because there is such a large constituency that is frustrated and he has to make space for it? Or is it just speak to his leadership and the kind of guy he is? I think it might be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, uh, Jason Kenney's obviously been involved in parliamentary politics for, for several decades now. Um, I think he admires how um, uh, Westminster Parliament operates uh, in, in the UK, where there's obviously quite more flexibility for uh, folks in, uh, in in the back benches to, to criticize cabinet and, and leadership than there has been here in Canada. So I think he appreciates that model. Uh, also, there's there's kind of a long strain in uh, in Alberta politics for um, the idea of free votes and the ability for MLAs to first represent their constituents before they represent their party. That was sort of an old uh, lobby horse of the Wild Rose Party. So that 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 culture was certainly brought into the United Conservative Party. Uh, so you know, I I don't think any leader likes the idea of having splinters of their caucus uh, asking them to resign every couple of weeks. <laughs> That's right. not ideal. And I, I, I don't think that can be maintained long term. Uh, at some point, these folks have to decide if they're running the next election, if they can uh, put their name on the ballot with, with Jason Kenney as their leader. Um, and, and, you know, vice versa, how long Jason Kenney wants to entertain um, folks uh, constantly trying to undermine his leadership while he's in charge. It's, you know, it's it's a complicated situation. And um, But, you know, at, at the end of the day, frankly, I, I, um, I appreciate the fact that uh, MLAs have been able to speak with a lot more freedom in Alberta regarding government COVID policy. I remember right. in spring 2021, there were about 17 MLAs who signed a joint letter saying that they weren't, they didn't approve of the government's recent COVID policy announcements, uh, which were much more stringent uh, lockdown policies back then. And, you know, frankly, they were giving voice to a large part of uh, Alberta voters and certainly uh, conservative voters. And, you know, that, that, that part, that's part of a healthy democracy and healthy democratic debate. And at the time, he um, certainly didn't do anything to, to um, stop that debate from happening within the party. So. Yeah, yeah, that's why uh, in my lead in why I said I, I kind of like what's going on, not because I have a personal opinion on whether or not Jason Kenney should stay or go. I, I, I don't have an opinion. I, I don't have uh, anything in this fight, but I, I just find it kind of refreshing uh, that this is something that that can happen. I mean, so many people say I'm in politics for the ideas. Well, here you go. You know, here's the ideas. Duke it out, folks. <laughs> yeah, and it's def- there's, uh, people have definitely been duking it out here in Alberta the last few uh, weeks and months. So it's an interesting it's an interesting contrast, again, because here in Ontario, uh, you know, I got to tell you, during the most aggressive parts of the lockdowns, there there were I received emails from from grassroots party members, donors to the party said, hey, you know, do you know if there's like any way we can get Doug Ford removed? Can we do a leadership review? Can we have a full like you know, leadership contest on all of this. We want to go in a different direction. And, and I think like technically maybe there's like a, a, a really uh, obscure way to make it happen, but ultimately no, it, it couldn't happen. And I think that the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party rules didn't even particularly allow for that. If, if a party leader, and this is common, I know in, in, in pretty much all provincial and federal uh, parties or, or most of them across the country, that if you lose uh, an election, you must be subjected to a leadership review within a certain amount of time after that. But for sitting uh, prime ministers, sitting premiers is generally not so much the case. Was there something, Evan, is there something much more liberal, shall I say, or, or you know, much more libertarian about the UCP, uh, the, the rules, just the drafting of the party rules that allowed this process to take place in the first place? 
Yeah, I definitely think so. It uh, well, the uh, the context behind the rules that allowed this to happen was um, in 20, 2020 uh, at, at the AGM. Uh, there was a, a total absence of, of rules on on how leadership review votes would be held, uh. and there was a drafting of, of leadership review um, rules that w- that was developed and put towards the membership, and that was ultimately endorsed. Um, but these the leadership review rules that were um, endorsed and passed. I mean, you, you can sort of um, argue over the uh, the language of the and the wording as as folks do at these things. But it, it certainly didn't go outside of the tradition of either the Progressive Conservative Party or or the Wild Rose Party, um, uh, you know, the previous entities of the current UCP. Um, there's there's been a strong tradition um, both on the PC side and Wild Rose side with leadership reviews and, and democratic accountability for members. It's something that the membership, um, frankly, expects. They see it as a strong mechanism to make sure that the leader stays engaged with the membership and and responds to their concerns and. Um, as, as you said, uh, it, it definitely um, has, you know, um, uh, captured the focus of, of Premier Jason Kenney. I think as a result, probably sharpened government policy to be more reflective of, uh, of conservative values over the, you know, the past year during pre- pretty trying circumstances for the government. So, um, I, you know, as far as the intent of those rules and how they're supposed to work, I, I, I definitely think they've, they've been working. Um, it's obviously caused some, some consternation and, and some distractions, but yeah, it's it's a it's a part of Alberta's uh, conservative culture. Uh, you, frankly, you know, thinking back to Ralph Klein, it was ultimately his demise was a, a leadership review vote that happened after um, I think his third majority government. So yeah, wow. it's a it's a big part of uh, Alberta conservative politics. Yeah, fascinating stuff. And I want you to explain the Brian Jean angle to me. I I have a big question here. So again, here in Ontario, Roman Baber was a member of the Ontario PC party. He was he was a, a caucus member, an MPP, and he published a letter well over a year ago saying he's unhappy with these lockdowns and he doesn't support Doug Ford uh, from doing it. And he kind of knew this would be the end of at least his role in government. And sure enough, the next day, Doug Ford kicked him out of caucus. There you go. So he said he doesn't support the lockdowns and boom, he was booted. Then I hear Brian Jean is, is getting involved again in Alberta politics. And I go, oh, okay, what's that about? I've got his Wikipedia page up right now. Return to politics is a section. And and I know you had just mentioned Brian Jean doing activism against uh, Jason Kenney's leadership. So it says, on November 3rd, 2021, Jean announced that he would seek the UCP nomination for an upcoming by-election in Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche, and won this nomination contest. And I go, oh man, that's really sly of him to to do that, knowing that later he's going to challenge Jason Kenney, because, you know, that's, that's very duplicitous, is it not? And then it continues... Gene uh, won the March 15th by-election, having openly campaigned in favor of removing Kenny from the leadership. I go, oh, he wasn't duplicitous at all. He was transparent about it uh, from the very beginning. And surely, Kenny, I guess if he really wanted to, could have blocked Gene doing all of this. But again, tell me, is it Jason Kenny himself, his leadership? Is it the, the culture of the party that has allowed this to transpire like it did compared to Ontario shutting all those avenues down? Yeah, and it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, for, for transparency, I, I actually campaigned for Brian during his uh, 2017 leadership bid and obviously worked for him. So um, uh, temper some of my comments with that. But yeah, I, I, I you know, um, it's again, certainly unusual and unorthodox, the approach uh, Brian uh, chose to take during that campaign. I think the Premier's thinking on it was that uh, there's a leadership review coming up um, and he... Um, you know, ultimately, he's going to respond to what the members want, and this this leadership review vote, um, you know, is the ultimate say on on the future of the party. And uh, I think he'd expect Brian, if the vote goes 
uh, in favor of, of uh, Jason Kenney. I think he, uh, he'd expect Brian to uh, fall in line um, or at the very least begin to show unity and, and drop, the, drop the leadership question. So, yeah, it, it, yeah most parties, you're right. Um, you don't usually run for the party asking uh, for uh, the party leader to be dethroned and replace. So again, unorthodox, but I think the Premier ultimately wanted the, the leadership review process to sort of be the final say. Now, I know one of the things that saw the initial creation of the Wild Rose Party over a decade ago was fr- frustration at the Alberta PC Party, seen as an entitled party, seen as an establishment party. I remember those headlines about Alison Redford and the Sky Palace, the creation of those lavish facilities. And I, I think it's fair to say, correct me from your Alberta perspective if I'm mistaken, that that is really what contributed to the rise of the NDP in that election, bringing Rachel Notley to power. To what degree are we seeing, or at least some people claiming that we are seeing, the return of a Tory entitlement culture right now, and that that's driving some frustrations? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I, you know, I, I think for some that. You know, in, in the background, obviously, any leadership review politics, um, there, there are folks angling to obviously get uh, Jason Kenney out of a leadership position, right. but also angling to get themselves into leadership. And so that that, that line of PC culture of entitlement uh, certainly will be a, a, a strong, I don't know if dog whistles is the right term, but a strong language to uh, remind some voters who might be upset with um, with the current leadership that they need to get activated and involved. Um, you know, I, I think any government, uh, as soon as they get into power, they need to be pretty careful about how they, you know, obviously um, perform in government, how they respond to, to complaints about uh, how they're performing in government and how they overall operate things. Uh, so um, my, my personal view is uh, it's, it's certainly um, uh, this current government's been a breath of fresh air compared to uh, previous uh, PC governments. I obviously campaigned against them a, a few times. Uh, they've implemented a lot of policies that the old Wild Rose Party argued for, uh, that the old Wild Rose Party argued for because they thought it would help uh, address the the so-called PC culture of entitlement. And so my view is, I, I don't I don't quite see it that way. Um, I think uh, that Jason Kenney has in fact implemented basically every single Wild Rose policy that was advocated for in the 2012 and 2015 election campaigns. And in fact, went even further. To address uh, Wild Rose Party policy complaints, so um, I, I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet, where you can uh, accuse the government of having the same sort of baggage that the, the previous forty-four-year-old uh, uh, BC government had. There were some concerns about Jason Kenney and travel. Some concerns about those photos that we saw across the country of them having a seemingly pleasant dinner on the rooftop patio of the Sky Palace. I have never once done the, this politician needs to resign for traveling during COVID or whatnot. I always felt that those were just examples of why, well, maybe those rules shouldn't be in place for the rest of us. I didn't do those gotcha moments, but I know a lot of people were frustrated with Jason Kenney for, for a couple of those items. Uh, to what degree is that in the mix right now? Yeah, uh, the original travel item was uh, with regards to uh, some members of his staff and, and MLAs and cabinet ministers who right. traveled in uh, Christmas 2020, I believe. I, I don't think that's so much um, in the window. I do think that the, the damage from that that um, outdoor lunch, um, it, it was my view that, or I guess dinner, it was my view that it was technically certainly within the rules that were in the time and the government was within a, a period of relaxation, uh, in fact, full opening within within about a week and a half from there. So I think it was, it was definitely an error for um, 
for the folks there to obviously be caught in that moment um, and and cause some brand damage. But I, I don't I don't think it's necessarily lasting um, as, as intense as it was last June. But I think it's a reminder for for the premier and the government that you know folks who are upset about how COVID went that they made missteps and they'll have to continue to sort of rebuild trust with with folks that that may have lost it in those moments. Uh, the premier himself has uh, you know made apologies and uh, you know sought to do better. And I I, I certainly think his commitment to uh, um, reopening the quickest of, of any jurisdiction sort of shows that uh, his his heart's always been in the right place, but he's always been, uh, like with the healthcare capacity issue, always sort of been in a pretty challenging position uh, when he's uh, trying to think of what policy levers he had to pull when it came to COVID. Evan, let's talk about the NDP for a moment here, because there was a time when it would be almost inconceivable that the NDP would govern Alberta with a majority even, which is, of course, what they received uh, back then in that election, uh, two elections ago before Jason Kenney became premier. Rachel Notley, she did not go anywhere. She remained in place as opposition leader. And when we talk about facing a leadership review, well, she did just that last year. And she passed her leadership review with a stunning 98.2% approval rating. Normally, we're told you see those levels that are that high and you're supposed to, oh, no, that's like Vladimir Putin, I don't know, Robert Mugabe territory. You go, what's going on with those numbers there? It doesn't seem right. But uh, I, I'm sure it was completely right. But I, I, I find it interesting that Rachel Notley clearly didn't have any major challengers for her leadership and that they're fine with her sticking around. And they clearly think she has a good chance of becoming premier once again. What do you think is the status of the NDP right now, both within its own party and among Alberta voters? Yeah, I, it's a good question. I think um, well, there's a few things to consider with the NDP. Uh, the great success of Rachel Notley was that uh, she managed to, in essence, unite the left um, in the 2015 election. Mm. The, the, the left-wing vote in Alberta has actually been quite strong for a long time. Um, you know, the, the Alberta Liberal Party would sort of consistently capture between 30 to 35 percent of the vote. The end, previous iterations of the NDP would capture something between eight to 10%. Some, some of that vote was of course, just anti-government voting um, at the time to really reflect partisan affiliation. But nevertheless, um, that there's sort of been consistently between 35 to 40% of Alberta voters who, um, you know, wouldn't comfortably affiliate themselves with, uh, with the provincial conservative party. And so um, by collapsing the left, um, she, you know, and the Alberta Liberal Party and uh, now Alberta Party uh, essentially are irrelevant when it comes when it comes to day to day politics out here. Um, she she has quite the hammer to um, make sure that the party stays united and to, to stay under her banner. And I think because of that, sort of the, the dissent that you'd usually see after losing a majority government just wasn't there. Uh, there are different factions of the party that she has to keep together. There's sort of the more hmm. uh, what I'd call um, environmentally extreme wing of the party that is less sensitive to Alberta's uh, economic mainstream uh, that she has to keep in line. And there's obviously more sort of traditional socialist aspects. And then there's folks who are sort of more economically mainstream that she has to keep um, all, all those folks happy altogether. So my, my sense is, is that those folks are, are standing by for now and waiting to see what happens in this next election. They've obviously been encouraged by the, the polling over the past year. It's my view that um, if, if the United Conservative Party, however, stays united and we're starting to see movement in the polls back towards uh, uh, incumbency with the government or support for incumbency with the government, that uh, the NDP will have a pretty hard slog in the next election. If they don't have a divided right vote in the cities, um, uh, they'll have a hard time in Calgary. They might be able to expand their footprint wow. a little bit. 
Um, but, um, you know, maybe in Lethbridge, they might be able to pick up a seat. There might be a couple of rules, but they, their map for growth in an Alberta election cycle is tough. Uh, they have to essentially sweep Calgary and Edmonton and hope they pick up some small cities, which is essentially um, pretty close to what happened in the 2015 election. I have a hard time picturing um, a lot of this suburban um, uh, ridings in Calgary voting NDP again, and j purely just because of that vote swing. Uh, listen, there was a riding, uh, Calgary Shaw, it's now represented by UCP MLA, Calgary, uh, Rebecca Scholes. That riding uh, was a three-way vote split. Uh, the NDP won by 100 votes to the PC candidate, and the Wild Rose candidate was 150 votes behind. So to win government again, uh, the NDP will have to win ridings like that. I'm, I'm just not seeing in the cards for now, especially at a time when the economy is finally recovering. And if uh, if COVID doesn't uh, continue to throw the government sideways over the next year and a half, the government will have a really strong story to tell Alberta. So that, that's my overall read of, of NDP. And then if they lose the next election, then I think that party will start seeing some serious fractions expose itself. Evan, before we go, we've been talking about turmoil within Alberta. I'd like to talk about turmoil vis-a-vis -vis Alberta and the rest of the country. We were talking about Western alienation quite a lot not too long ago. Now, of course, we're focused on what's going on in Alberta politics. To what degree are the frustrations that fuel Western alienation also going on right now in terms of how UCP party members are are talking to each other and, and debating about where they want the party to head, whether or not they want to boot Jason Kenney out. All of those those economic issues, dealing with the oil sands, dealing with getting a fair shake. How is that at play here? It's a major piece. Um, you know, there, there's some there, there's a large part of the party that's critical of, of the premier for not being hard enough on Ottawa, which I'm sure um, some some folks in Ontario would be surprised to hear. Hmm. Um, but the the sense out here is uh, both the 2019 election and then this past one, um, the federal liberals and Justin Trudeau were um, overtly hostile to many of Alberta's, ec not just economic interests, but just the, the standing within the country. Right. And that that's that sense of antagonism, I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau has been the, uh, is the least popular incumbent prime minister, certainly in, in my living memory. And uh, he's, he's built his coalition purely off um, uh, dividing uh, Canadians and uh, Albertans especially have, have felt that. And so whether it was on, on COVID, whether it's on uh, economic developments, particularly in oil sands, um, all Albertans here from Ottawa is that uh, they're happy to keep taking our money, um, but they're going to keep making it harder for us to make money. Uh, I think specifically about this past budget, um, there were a lot of reports about new federal government windfalls, you know, helping shore up their fiscal ship. That's all, all. That's not all Alberta money, but a large part of that is Alberta money. It's money coming out of Albertans' pocketbooks that goes to Ottawa, and is unequally transferred across the country. Instead of getting a thanks or getting uh, uh, policies in place that significantly help um, address any sort of economic headwinds the province has faced, uh, we get policies from the environment minister talking about the the need to essentially wipe out large swaths of the oil sands over the next decade so it's that it doesn't it's that, remarkable that, that what they say with impunity good. with a straight face it's remarkable well and yeah and albertans uh, we'll get a few more seats but we only have 34 uh mps we can send to ottawa and uh, uh frankly you know for any of our listeners out uh, out in ontario or atlantic canada like we we need your we need your guys' help in the next election um because uh yeah it's uh, it, Folks are getting really frustrated. We saw there was an equalization referendum held. Um, more than 
I think it was more than 65% of folks said, we want this thing scrapped. And uh, I think unless there's any sort of uh, policies to address uh, grievances out here, um, that, that anti-Ottawa sentiment will continue to increase. And the pressure for provincial representatives to go even harder against Ottawa will continue to increase as well. So Albertan Conservatives divided on the question of Jason Kenney's leadership, but very united on the question of Justin Trudeau's leadership. And it, it ain't a positive vote on that one. Yeah, no, that's for sure. If uh, um, the, there's one name that will, even the NDP, uh, they'll agree that it's it, they've, they've taken a harder tone against uh, Justin Trudeau and, and the uh, federal liberals uh, while they've now been in opposition. So um, it's uh, there's no name that gets Albertans united more than... Um, uh, Justin Trudeau. Wow, that's quite something. And this this whole thing has been quite something. And Evan, I thank you very much uh, for walking us through all of the nuts and bolts of what's unfolding in Alberta politics right now. Evan Menzies, thanks for stopping by. You bet. Anytime. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.